True Detective Season 2, Episode 1, The Western Book of the Dead, is over, but we're just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler, here with the first proper episode of the True Detective Podcast here on Post Show Recaps. We already recorded a preview show, but the season has premiered. We are ready to dive into everything that has happened so far in Season 2 of True Detective. And I was going to introduce these uh, two co-hosts of mine, but never mind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they just well, introduce themselves. That's pretty solid. Yeah. How about that? What do you think? Yep, okay? I'm, Jer- I'm Jeremiah Panhorst. Uh, I podcast about Mad Men, and I live in Missouri. Okay, that's one. I'm Antonio and Mazzaro, and I live in Kentucky, and I podcast about everything. These and are lies. It, I'm awesome. And which one of you is the Yellow King? I'm the Yellow it King. It seems like it's Antonio. Yeah. I'm afraid uh, our listeners have spoken, and it's, it's Antonio. It seems decisively I, I, Antonio. I saw a stray vote for Rob Sesternino. Yeah, there was. That's true. There was. There was one for Rob. Yeah. And he could be. That would that would just throw us all off. I mean, that would really F with all of us, wouldn't it? I mean, my goodness. If you want the truth, I did buy my mechanics jumpsuit from Rob Sesternino. Oh, wow. Oh, really? So, all right. The The conspiracy deepens. The conspiracy deepens here on the True Detective podcast, as it does on True Detective, the show. Season two has premiered. uh, I don't don't even know, know where to begin. I guess we should probably begin with the big story. What was with the little lady in the bowl of milk? Yeah, I, well, no. burning question number one. <laughs> what was that little lady doing? Just a milk bath. That was pretty freaky. That was pretty freaky. There's a lot, of, a lot of freaky imagery in this episode. A complicated episode for sure uh, to kick off. True Detective. I guess let's just dive into overall impressions. Jeremiah, you were able to watch this uh, on premiere night. I had to watch it a day late. I was traveling. Antonio, I know, I had to watch it a day late as well with work. Jeremiah, you watched it as it was happening. What were your thoughts? What was what was your immediate impression of the premiere? <laughs> Uh, I liked it. I thought it was good. I don't think it was quite as compelling to me as I remember the watching season one's premiere. I mean, that one really just took me away and I was so blown away about how how different it was. This one wasn't didn't quite do that for me, but I I still kind of enjoyed it. This the comments that what I pretty much read online is a lot of people were mixed about it. A lot of people didn't seem to like it. I know the critics don't seem to have been enjoying it very much, but I thought it was pretty good. I did feel like it kind of was a little rushed, you know, like I thought that uh, there was so much that we were getting with, with the characters backgrounds, but it was almost too much too fast. I felt, you know what I mean? It did seem like the pacing is off a little bit. And I don't know if that's just a directorial style because, you know, I, I know that, uh, uh, what was the director? This was this Jen who, who directed this. This one? was Justin Lin. Justin Lin. Okay. Then I don't know if it's just because of his style. Maybe it's a little different. I know he's, he is a a fast and furious director. That's Ah. right. You go. So maybe that had part of it to do, but overall I thought it was, I thought it was a pretty good episode though. It's definitely had lots for us to talk about. That's for sure. Yeah. Lots to talk about. Lots to chew on. Uh, Antonio, what'd you think? What were your first impressions of this? I'm a big fan of David Lynch, specifically David Lynch's works, uh, Mulholland Drive and Lost Highway, which are set in Los Angeles, and which I think this premiere episode of True Detective and, and what seems to be maybe the feeling of the whole season owe a lot to. And so I was a fan. I, I'm, I, I don't have a problem with the just complete and utter darkness and grim nature of all these characters in the settings, uh, because I think that L.A., no offense to the people who live there or spend time there, is a pretty dark place depending on the prism through which you see the city so i appreciate that that city can be portrayed that way that parts of california even if you're on the pch and even if you're driving in the big sur area uh, if you're driving at night with your headlights off can be very grim and dangerous yeah by the way Uh, don't do that 
Hey, do yeah. it because I almost won the death draft in the first episode. That would have been. <laughs> you wouldn't have gotten the bonus point. Well, I wouldn't have gotten the bonus point, but I would. I mean, I just that would have, that would have been a spike of the football, basically. Yeah, yeah, you did but, come uh, close. Yeah, I how about close. that? What if what if that had been the twist? Like all these high profile castings of these four high profile actors, and they just bump one of them, one of them off in the very first episode. Yeah, what? that would that would have been crazy. That would have been frustrating. I yeah, that would have been Kurtz, like you know, from uh, Hitchcock. Just kill him, kill off one of the main characters right away. Spoilers, bro. So, oh, sorry about that. That's okay. Sorry. Um, so, you think you think LA is a dark place, and this is an appropriately dark first episode of the show? I do. I and I think it's important when you're kind of uh, when you're making season two of a show like True Detective to plant your flag, and I think it's it's vital that you set the tone that you want to set. Now, look, people are not agreeing with the tone. People are not happy with the tone. That's fine. But I don't think anyone can question that the tone was established and set in this episode. Uh, in terms of the grimness, the darkness, uh, all these characters seem to be rife with problems. Some of them, in fact, are very similar in terms of their problems uh there's a lot of sexual things going on there's a lot of kind of darkness that's been carried over from some other place going on with some of these characters so i think that it's a great tone setter if you don't like the tone i understand and uh, there were some cliches there were some you know tv cop type things that were happening that we can take issue with but on the whole i also like jeremiah i'm not as down on it i think as other people i'm reading are because i think that they are just rejecting the tone out of hand i think some people saw last year's true detective and thought well what was different about that show is that even though it was just another serial killer show and all these things it had these different things about it that made it unique and it made it something that was truly different and no, this show doesn't, this series does not seem to be bringing those to the table just yet. Uh, but I, that doesn't mean I don't like what it's bringing to the table. Right. Well, there's, there's not a lot of levity here. Um, and, you know, even in something that was as grim as the whole Yellow King saga and everything that, that Rust and, and uh, Marty went through in season one of True Detective, like there were still moments of, of levity and comedy. It's actually, I mean, to not everybody who's listening to this listens to everything that we do here on Post Recaps, but Antonio it reminds me a little bit of like what our issue with The Leftovers was uh when the leftovers premiered and the leftovers was just such a dark show and it's just somebody crack a smile please um so there there are not many smiles to be found here in the season two premiere and i'm guessing that we probably won't be seeing too much of that throughout the season as well no, and one of the things that the first series of True Detective obviously did very well is while Matthew McConaughey's Rust Cole character was just being morose as can be, Woody Harrelson was laughing at him and yeah. making fun of him. And Woody Harrelson was taking our place in a lot of respects in that regard. And so there was levity just with the, the two of them, and that isn't present yet. Now we're going to bring some of these characters together, and who knows exactly what will happen. But there doesn't seem to be a healthy, normal one among them uh, to kind of be the one, not that Marty Hart was so normal but not to be the one who's kind of looking at these screwed up people and being like man you're really screwed up that's funny to me so there and you got vince vaughn who was uh, definitely a comedian not being funny at all so yeah uh, yeah there's not a lot of levity well i did laugh when he said i ain't looking forward to jerking off in no cup <laughs> well that was comedy gold right there yeah. that's for sure i i you know it's crazy if you think about it his character vince vaughn's character frank might be the if you want to say normal, the most normal yeah, yeah. <laughs> the main characters, the rest of them are really screwed up. Yeah, no, it's an interesting observation. Uh, you know, thinking about thinking about Marty and Rust, Rust really being on like this very uh, isolated social, uh, you know, he, he can't really 
coexist with other people very well. He's been through the shit. He's seen too much. And Marty, who definitely has his demons, is more of an outward, uh, extroverted character. Uh, somebody who sees seems to see things with you know fairly you know normal eyes. Um, you know, again, ha- has his issues, and they really develop throughout season one. But you're right, that character doesn't really exist yet on the show and that's one thing that just immediately separates these two is there there really is no one kind of pov character to get in the head of and i do think you're right jeremiah i think the closest would probably be frank semian vince uh, vaughn's character right and i I just don't think we're going to get that that we had with the chemistry of those two so hopefully that will come in other directions maybe he's maybe elvis uh annie's partner there you go he seems like the most normal guy Right. So hopefully we'll get something from that because you're right. I think that we're definitely going to need that in such a very dark show. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, we've we've been asked, you know, we opened up before we uh, before we started doing this podcast, we opened up on postshowrecaps.com uh, to questions from people who had watched the premiere. And we got a bunch of questions from people who were asking what we thought some of the biggest differences between season one and season two of True Detective were already so far, only one episode deep into season two. But I think we could say this already seems just for me it just seems darker instantly um you know there was a sense of foreboding throughout season one um but there were you know moments of optimism and even thinking about the ending of season one kind of ends on an optimistic note uh that seems to be pretty pretty much at a premium here um and we'll see if we capture any of that but so far that's not what the show seems to be interested in yeah, and we we jump right into it with the theme song, right? And you kind of hinted at it, but you jump right in with the theme song. The the first, the Far From Any Road, which is the theme song from season one. Great song. It's clangy. Pat Oswalt. Pat Oswalt once described it as this, um, the music that ghosts make out to. Yeah. Uh, so it's like <laughs> see that. haunting and yet like romantic and like enrapturing and all these things. And then we've got Leonard Cohen. Leonard Cohen is just a legend and a genius, uh, and he just comes on at the wall was lost the treaty signed i was not caught i crossed the line it's like wow what what is happening is this like the devil is it john wayne what's going on like this is really cool so it's uh it's definitely a much darker grimmer like foreboding credit sequence than last year's which was haunting so the tone is definitely struck differently and i think on purpose for sure yeah it's t-bone burnett like the music supervisor he doesn't mess around sure yeah i mean they definitely selected that on purpose to definitely like you said set the tone for this particular season for sure yeah uh this is interesting alex wilpon posted on poster recaps about this and wanted to know our thoughts on nevermind on the leonard cohen theme song um and it seems like People are are not in on it. You know, people people are not really digging. Never mind. That seems to be kind of the consensus online. That surprises me because the opening for this season, that's my favorite part so far by far. Which yeah. me, I, I don't mean that as like a backhanded compliment no, to the think, episode. But, you know, the, the art of the opening credits is, is an important thing to me. Uh, and I, I think that season two nailed it immediately. I love this song. I love the imagery, like the blood red color and, the and you know, contrasted with the black shadow. I just think it, it looks great and it sounds fantastic. I love this song. And I feel like it's going to really earworm into people's brains as this uh, as this show moves along over the next few weeks. Well, maybe it goes back to what Antonio was saying, because the, the, the song from last season was way catchier. I mean, like it was a song Definitely. that you could actually see people downloading, which I know I did and listening to it just for fun. And I have to admit, this is not something that 
you know, people are going to clamor to download and listen to on their way to work or something necessarily. But, but I think you're right though. It really beautifully sets up this season. So I I think maybe it just makes sense to do because of the fact it's not a catchy tune. Yeah, I think so. so. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Where do you guys where do you guys want to start with this thing? Um, You know, it takes a long time for our main characters to kind of collide. It's not until the very end of the episode that we get everybody in the same room. So should we should we start with individual characters? Is that how you want to divide this thing up? I think that's probably the best way because I I, that's how I was keeping track of it in my head. Yeah. So who who do you want to start with, Antonio? Who, Who did you find to be the most compelling character of the hour? Colin Farrell's character, I think, is probably the the most with the most going on for sure. The most we get, and the most going on. Yeah. So what what were what were your uh, what was your take on him? So uh, I mean, love we, his kid. By the way, big fan of Chad. <laughs> Chad uh, Chad seems like the kid from Bad Santa to me. Yeah, I don't I was know thinking what's that, happening uh, there. Thurman Merman. Yeah, the, yeah, the, exactly. I, I made a, a brown pickle for you, but it's red because of my blood or whatever. I was thinking of uh, I was thinking of Disney's the kid as well as I was watching this guy. Yeah, he, true, he, true detectives, the kid. Yeah, or like the kid from Up, maybe like something like uh-huh. that. Like this is just like a. Uh-huh. I feel bad for the kid because he's. I mean, look, we we established pretty quickly, right? He's the child of rape. Is that? Are we on the same yeah, team yeah. about that? It, certainly, there's yeah, certainly, I'm on that team. Yeah, you know what's funny? Real quick, you know who I thought of when I saw the kid? Have you ever seen the Man Show? Do you remember the kid that used to go out there and they the would, Man Show kid? Yeah, right. Yeah, I kind of thought of the Man Show kid. Yeah, oh, man. He, the man he's show like boy. evocative of all of those types of characters of just like this you know round little boy who's just getting poked and picked on and apparently getting his shoes ripped apart by the neighborhood bully yeah he doesn't have an easy life that's for sure yeah what's the neighborhood bully's name again it's something uh aspen scott, scott furcus yes scott furcus aspen conaway apparently yeah aspen yeah aspen yeah. aspen yeah pain in the aspen so, I mean, we established pretty quickly that, that Colin Farrell is into this kid like he wants to be his father, but he's separated from the mom. And Colin Farrell clearly has problems. But the first time we see him with a kid, hey, he's being a decent dad. He's like, hey, uh, you're going to have this and I got you these new shoes and blah, 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 blah. And then the next time we see him with the kid, it's not so good. We also get a flashback of apparently Vince Vaughn has uh, when he first connected with Colin Farrell was he found out that Colin Farrell's wife had been raped and he found out who did it. And he gave Colin Farrell the information about it and said, eh, maybe later we'll talk. Maybe we won't. Right. I don't know. You know, I don't know how far to take that we had a uh, jason burning left us a comment and others have observed uh in our comments that um that the uh and this was from lila as well in our comments that Vin, one of vince vaughn's henchmen is is a redhead right uh, and that making the choice to make the kid redheaded is probably not by accident that it is probably by design and that we could probably read into that a little bit i don't know did you guys pick up on that no i missed that no. but I, I i saw the comment um Mm-hmm. And it's it's an interesting observation, and that would be a, a pretty interesting wrinkle, and it would kind of explain why Frank seems not indebted to to Ray by any stretch of the imagination, but has you know an interest in a guy that he really doesn't need to be putting jobs on. You know, the, Ray is such a messed up dude. We've only known him for one episode, but in the first episode that we meet him, he's pounding whiskey that you're supposed to be savoring. He's you know doing bumps, he's smoking pot, he's punching out a dad with brass knuckles 
knuckles in front of the dad's kid. He's not a good dude. Uh, and he's sloppy and does not seem to be good at his job. He, you know, he's putting a ski mask on and gloves in broad daylight before he goes in and kicks the shit out of a news reporter. Uh, so right away, this is not a guy <laughs> that you want to be trusting with highly sensitive jobs. But That's a whole lot packed I, into I one episode, by the way. But I, Frank is. He's, you know, he's yeah. entrusting all this in him. Yeah, I might really let him is. babysit my kids. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Father of the year, Jeremiah Panhorse. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. This is a ski mask. You just want to know the secrets of how he gets that Velcro mustache so yeah. so he, delicious. He can show your kids how to use brass knuckles. I mean, let me tell you, this guy, is, he can lie a lot of life lessons he can show these kids for sure. Well, if you're going to be like camping out back, he's going to get you the sweet sleeping back. That's true. That's yeah, true. except a week afterwards. Right. He's very concerned about your tennis shoes. Yep. Yeah. The, the LeBrons or whatever. Yeah. He will fight for custody over you. So he cares. Yeah. In, in the form of uh, wads of cash that look like ill gotten. He will beat the crap out of your bullies or at least traumatize them heavily. Yeah. yeah. In conjunction with the most horrific threat that I think I've ever heard leveled near a child. Yeah. What, <laughs> what, were, what were the exact specifics of that? Uh, do we really need to get into that? Well, I, I didn't catch it. It's not very uh, PG. Here, I have it written. <laughs> oh, you didn't catch it yet. Yeah, you have it written <laughs> yeah, down. Yeah, no, Clear I your throat. Let's down. hear it. I'll come home and BF your father with your <laughs> mama's, friend? Your mama's something. <laughs> Headless corpse. Headless corpse. corpse. Yes. Yeah. So that's very, very colorful dialogue. So you know, he he cares. He cares. He does. That yeah. being said, he does call you, uh, you know, a fat p word when he's disappointed in you. So yeah, that's no good. Yeah, that's no good. He's yeah. all over the map. I mean, he's, he's in a. Go ahead. No, he's in bad shape. Yes. If you think about it, though, he really has set the tone here to uh, get rid of, of all the bullying that's going on in school. You send this guy to these bullies' houses, and there'll be no more bullying in school before you know it. What's going to happen to this guy? Like, what's the fallout of this? What's the fallout of him just, like, kicking the ever-loving crap out of this, uh, this local dad? I don't know. Uh, our Philly had left a comment and, and wanted to know if anyone ever came to either of your houses and beat up your dad and then threatened to BF uh, him with your mom's headless Oh, no. no. I don't know. Terrible. <laughs> Why has that ever happened to you? No, I don't remember that happening. No, you think I would, though. <laughs> I was part of like a, a small group of kids back in high school that uh, this one kid made fun of my friend's brother who was gay, and it was just starting to travel around school that this that this kid was gay, and uh, we paid him a visit, and this reminded me of that, but we didn't threaten to decapitate anybody and shove them up anybody's bum. You're exacting social justice-based violence in high school? Yeah, it was great. I mean, I was just like the kid in the back, and I let the tough guys do the talking. But I was there. It was cool. You were the muscle. It felt great. Uh, it felt great. It did. And that kid, by the way, was awful and deserved to be bullied. And where not, is he now? Not the brother. The brother is awesome. Where is the kid the now? Um, the brother or the bully? The bully. No idea where the bully is. I want you to fry. I'm, I'm using my one, Josh, I get one per season. I'm using my one Facebook friend request. I have to, find, I have to figure out what his name is. I'll, I'll ask around. Uh, <laughs> I know, right, I'm I know just my, kidding. I, I have a feeling my friend Billy is listening to this podcast. So Billy, reach out to me and remind me what this guy's name was. Billy was actively involved in this, I believe. Uh, don't throw Billy under the bus. Billy is happy under the don't bus. Don't throw Billy under the bully Billy bus. Billy lives under the bus. 
So oh, it's that's great. Yeah, it's wow. Um, so there's a lot going on with uh, Ray Velcoro. Uh, he he does not have his his stuff together. He was working for the L.A. Uh, Sheriff's Department, I think, uh, and he's obviously he's been busted down. He is not there anymore. So there's something in his past that is obviously very traumatic. His wife was raped. It does certainly seem like um, his son Chad is the product of of that rape. You know, he was born nine months afterwards. Very intense, and you got to wonder what ray did with that information that he got from frank yeah you do and you he, he says he welcomes judgment when the custody kind of attorney is talking to him about that moment where whatever led to him kind of being busted down to uh to vico or to the you know to a lower job and he's basically like i welcome judgment but uh, you're welcoming judgment on what like we don't i think we will find out the show establishes quite quickly that they have no problem going into flashback mode complete with bad haircuts on colin farrell uh, and so i think we will so bad. You didn't think it was so bad? You were on wig watch. W- I was, was on it a wig? wig watch. It looked fine. He looked like, right. you know, clean cut, handsome Colin Farrell. I think it looked a little tousled and I'm like, okay, is this like, it didn't look, it didn't look good to me. It Jeremiah, tiebreaker, thumbs I, up or thumbs down on flashback I, Farrell. I say thumbs up. Yes. Uh, I'm going to put thumb very up. Very distinguished. Very distinguished. Listen, we have to team up against the Yellow King. <laughs> Jeremiah and I have forged an alliance behind your back. That's all right. I'll just sit here and make flowers. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, incidentally, your Skype icon is a flower. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. pretty. It's <laughs> nice. I'm looking at that, and I'm not liking what I see. It's just uh, it's yellow on the, on the outside, brown in the middle. It's a sunflower. How did Ray sober up enough to get to the scene of the crime at the end of this episode? I think that's the central mystery that's, of the episode. I was wondering that exact same thing. There's no way. He oh, could, there's a way. <laughs> there is? Yeah. Please, please tell me cocaine <laughs> cocaine ah yes cocaine will absolutely do that that will you. sober up anybody yeah, yeah. he was that, on the co- he happened. was on the cocaine train yes he rode the cocaine train right over yeah. uh, and that's the train that's not the train they're trying to build that no. one is already well built in california that joke is on the rails yes oh way to bang that one out that yeah. was good bumping rails uh yeah. that's a, that's a decent enough segue to talking about this rail storyline that's going on so yeah so frank vince bond's character he's a gangster he's trying to go legit he's trying to set up some California Central Rail System, but I wasn't entirely sure what was going on. Did either of you guys have a good read on what's going on here? No, I thought it was pretty vague for the most part. I mean, we just know that uh, that is the the plan is to do this high speed uh, rail tr- train that's going to go through the northern, I guess, a little bit more than the uh, middle northern part of of California. Well, we don't know much more than that that I can tell. Uh, Antonio, what am I, did you pick up anything else as yeah, far as details? Yeah, projects like this are pretty common. The, the movie Chinatown is based around a, a similar conspiracy to buy up farmland and, and uh, involve the water department and build reservoirs and things like that. So this is a very kind of established trope within, I mean, one of our, tr- one of our Boardwalk Empire seasons, Jeremiah, was about building the road and everybody acquiring all the land around the road and how they were going to make money off of it. I think the key hook of this this rail project was that the government was willing to pony up for overages on the project, which meant that whoever secured the government contracts, whatever businesses or firms, and it was, I'm sure, going to be people that he was whining and dining in that room and people that were involved, whatever it was, no matter how much they ran up, the government was going to pay for it. So that is a cash cow 
for sure. And I think in return, look like what Vince Vaughn was doing was maybe acting as kind of an escrow agent, like the Russian that he was talking to throughout the episode mentioning was going to offer a lot of the money that was going to be used to buy up land and to kind of make this sort of like investment in the area that the the railroad was going to go to. Uh, and then Vince Vaughn was kind of his middleman and the, 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 the go between between he and this city manager who was going to be the official who put the official stamp on everything. And so when that corrupt official, when that guy who was working with the people that were using dirty money and probably playing out a lot of favors and that sort of thing, when that guy ends up dead, I think the whole deal gets into jeopardy uh, and that right. everybody that's involved is going to be in a significant pl- uh, place of problem. Uh, so that deal is now scuttled, I would imagine, because the legit end of it, the guy who was going to put the city rubber stamp on it is, is gone. Casper. Yeah. The friendly, the friendly ghost. ghost, the friendly ghost. Yeah. Casper, he goes missing. And that's when it really does seem like, you know, this big night that Vince Vaughn is planning, that Frank is planning it kind of, you know, he has to wing it. He's the guy who's going to have to give the speech to everybody. He doesn't seem fully prepared. He doesn't want to be the front man. I think that Casper was supposed to be the front man. When he disappears, he's put on the spot. Frank is put on the spot. And when the Russian, who was actually an Irishman on Sons of Anarchy, um, he uh, when he he is seemingly getting getting cold feet because the main man is not there. So already, even before they know that the guy is dead, it's starting to fall apart. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, that seems to be the best way to describe it. Yeah. What did you guys think of Vince Vaughn? Uh, you know, that was one of our big questions coming out of the preview show is like, how, how is Vince Vaughn going to do in this setting? It's a, from my, from my point of view, it was, you know, it's a very different version of the guy than we're used to. He's not really cracking wise. He has a couple of zingers here and there, you know, his talk about, uh, IVF and, and stuff like that. But, you know, there aren't really lots of Vince Vaughn wisecracking jokes going on here. What do you think, Antonio? Is he pulling this off? Do you like Prince, uh, Vince Vaughn? Frank Sammy in here? I did. I thought that he actually played vulnerable pretty well. Like, I think that there was a lot of good nervousness on him in the prime timeline, not in the flashback to when he's first meeting Colin Farrell, but in the prime timeline when he's nervous about, you know, is this going to be the right way to do it? Should I have sprung for the country club? Should I be having this event at a nicer place? Like, he's really worried about all these things. And I think that he actually did a very good job in the small moments. Sort of one of the most memorable moments of the episode for me is he's, he's sort of gotten uh, his people to get Colin Farrell to shake down this reporter who's writing an eight part series. Where, where do we know about eight parts? I loved that. That was funny. That's a, that's a good little meta joke on uh, the whole show. Yeah. He's running an eight part series on corruption in the area. And apparently Vince Vaughn is not going to be touched. You're not going to be touched, but everybody's going to be touched. Everyone obviously. gets touched. Everyone gets touched. Those are which the is, rules here on post show recaps. Everyone gets touched. <laughs> I grew up in the eighties watching after school specials. I know that everyone gets touched. Believe oh, me. Uh, I mean, different strokes for different folks. We're going to have to have a very special episode of post show recap to <laughs> account, account for all of this right now. Can we get Gordon jump to host it? Can yeah. we do that? Yeah. I think. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that he, in my mind, the most memorable scene with Vince Vaughn for me, and I thought this was shot beautifully was when Colin Farrell comes to deliver the laptop and the notebook of the reporter who he's shaken down. Vince Vaughn and Colin Farrell are just kind of looking at each other. And Vince Vaughn is really just t- kind of taking the size and shape of a man there and looking at, at Colin Farrell like, man, you're, you're broken, like you are messed up, and really just kind of evaluating 
evaluating him and i thought that there was a lot unspoken in in the way that scene was shot not like a, you that is not that was not shot like a typical uh show of this type and i think it really played out i thought vince vaughn did a bang-up job uh in those moments the dialogue free moments uh, i thought that's where he was at his strongest well, he's got a great look to him you know he's yeah. just got this like bugged out look to him that i think works really well on a show like this uh jeremiah what do you think of the relationship between frank and ray where do you think that this is going this seems to me to be at least so far and granted it's only an hour into an eight hour thing but it seems to me to be um you know the first uh real central relationship of the show what's your take on these two yeah that's what i felt i felt like it was definitely like i think for like lack of a better way of describing i feel like they're the marty and and rust i think we're gonna find it's probably the most important relationship maybe in the entire series i mean obviously like you said we do not know everything just yet but at the early stages it certainly seems like that their relationship is going to be pivotal to the rest of the story because you know they have a past they have a history uh, i think if you remember right, it goes back like nine years since his wife was uh, raped right so he established at least at that point they had a relationship we don't know if if it was anything before that if they had a relationship even before that but definitely they've had a working relationship for a while now and so it's going to be really i think it's going to be very important to the rest of the series and i thought it was i thought it was the most exciting thing that i saw was the fact that these two of them have been working together and they've got this interesting working relationship and to see how it's going to tie in with the rest of what's going to happen when we figure out what's going on with the um, murder of the uh casper yeah Yeah. casper the friendly ghost so That will, I think it's going to be really pitiful, man. I really think this is going to be very important. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I like that. Uh, I didn't realize that Kelly Riley, the actress who plays uh, Jordan, Frank's wife, I didn't realize that she was going to be in the main credit. So there's really a fifth main character that we've got going on here. You know, it's the five, it's, it's the four that we've talked about. Plus Kelly Riley as Jordan is the fifth member of the opening credits. That signifies that she's going to be pretty important. I like that. I think that's cool. I think that she, she could provide a pretty interesting layer here. I, I'm looking forward to her kind of, I don't know. I, 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 I get the sense that she's going to be lady Macbething this thing a little bit yeah i think so too and and i thought it was inter- i mean i, I she's a really just, good actress i really like her are they casting right out of sherlock holmes is that, is that what's happening because i believe she was in sherlock holmes with rachel mcadams like <laughs> that's right i forgot this it's like oh, we need some female actresses what's the last movie you saw i saw sherlock holmes well let's get those two. Oh, those two were good yeah no is that the chick that played mrs hudson no no we don't want her no no no, no. it's too old need, no but she's good. younger she's good i think i think she'll be yeah, good i like her yeah, I, I thought that that all played really well. And I actually thought that it was interesting that, you know, they jumped around in the time a little bit between the moment when we had Vince Vaughn uh, and Colin Farrell first in that bar when he hands him the picture. And then the next thing we see is Vince Vaughn kind of drinking coffee at sunrise outside of his apart- his house. And his house didn't look super nice. I mean, there was like ugly wood paneling on the inside. And I thought, this is a guy who isn't where he wants to be. Like, he clearly wants to be somewhere else in life and this is a big deal for him so i thought they did a really good job of that uh establishing that and then having his wife kind of really play into that by by kind of pumping him up a little bit and i and i think yeah i agree in that in this moment in this episode it seemed like she was just pumping him up like you're ready you can do this but i do agree that there may be a little bit of lady Macbething that's going to happen and i hope that's the case yeah i mean there's there's only so much we know about any of these people and she's really kind of the most thinly drawn character so far but i'm really looking forward to learning more about her let's talk about her sherlock holmes co-star rachel mcadams who is in here as annie bezerides am i getting that right bezerides 
<laughs> yeah, something like that. Bezerides. I don't know. I don't know how you want to pronounce that. I think it's Bezerides. I like her. I, I love Rachel McAdams. What did you think of Rachel McAdams in this one, Jeremiah? Yeah, I really liked it too. I mean, it was. She's definitely going to be very interested to see because we of all the characters she definitely we know quite a bit about her now even in this one episode and i know i said earlier that it seems like so much was rushed and one of the things was rushed we got a lot about if you're paying attention real carefully to the episode we got a lot about each one of these characters quite a bit especially her and uh she's obviously just like the rest of them a very disturbed person has a lot of issues going on there a lot of them have to do, of course, with some, some issues with their parents, obviously. So that's very interesting to see. I thought one of the things I thought was very interesting, though, was the first time we get to meet or get to introduce to her, the the idea that they immediately set us off to let us know that she is definitely into some uh, very unusual sex things and stuff like that. What did you think about the introduction of her? Because I thought that was kind of odd that that's the first thing we learn about is that she has uh, some interesting preferences in the bedroom. In the bedroom. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what... what what happened there yeah i don't know i don't like that <laughs> what's going on i don't know what he apparently she wanted to do something in the bedroom that he wasn't quite or ready he he did something that she wasn't ready for it was confusing to me i got, I got the sense that it was her that that was yeah. we're ready to cross a line wanted to cross a line that he didn't oh really yeah like he wanted to she wanted to put something somewhere and something and the thing that was my sense yeah because mm. because it was like i think the line was something like you like that and she was like sometimes and so i don't know exactly what that is but mm. i don't know uh how's I, that for a first impression for this character nick pizza latte it, it is interesting because we we had that. So we had her with it with I wouldn't say go so far as to call it a proclivity, but we have a, a character with some sort of sexual thing happening there. Then we know that Taylor Kitsch is popping the blue pills uh, because he v obviously for has, yes, he has a little wow. V for Vendetta. He has a little Viagra. Uh, V for Viagra, a little blue pill action there, probably some PTSD and some issues with that. Yeah, we'll uh, get and all that. It's taking sure. some long showers. Yes. Uh, we have Vince Vaughn talking about IVF, uh, and and we have the the Colin Farrell storyline that is touched by rape. So and I think him, it's him it, expressing that he's not interested in uh, any kind of relationship anymore either. Yeah, good call. That is that is absolutely uh, part of it as well. Now that I think of it, yeah, that's a that's a really yeah. good point. So and there's you know obviously seems to be some which we haven't really even touched on is the, you know the kinky stuff that seems to be surrounding Casper's death. So uh, kink seems to be in play this season. It's California, man. <laughs> that's the darkness. Well, yeah. Do you have a story that you would like to share with us, Antonio? Something yeah. personal from your history? Not on the first episode. No. Oh. No, you don't want to rush it like Jeremiah said. And that's a teaser right there, Antonio. Now they're going to have to continue to listen so they could find out uh, the story that you're about to share. More votes for Antonio as the Yellow King. <laughs> California is an interesting place. I'm casting mine right now. No, but these are interesting points of, about um, you know the nature of sex on the show. And I just thought that it was interesting that that was the first thing that we're getting out of uh, Annie. Um, and also finding out that she has such strong opinions about her sister, uh, Athena, who seems like she, you know, she was abusing substances, was, was very troubled once upon a time, seems to have a fairly clean act in that regard, is acting in pornography, and Annie is really adamantly opposed to everything that her sister seems to be doing. Meanwhile, fast forward to the end of her arc in the episode, she's just getting, you know, shit-faced at the casino. Yeah. I mean, she definitely, uh, she likes to preach all this stuff, but she certainly doesn't live by it, that's for sure. I mean, she's she's definitely a hypocrite. I mean, she's going out probably, I'm, 
sure she's doing all kinds of things that if her sister knew about it, she'd be able to throw that right back in her face, I'm sure. Yeah. So. Yeah, it is interesting. She's named Antigone, like Annie is short for that. And, right. and we've got Athena as her sister. So clearly there's some that, that David Moore's her crazy, like, Coke selling, uh, and I mean, like, by the world of Coke selling uh, father, uh, <laughs> is, is, has some kind of hang up on Greek myth. Uh, Antigone is a, a Sophocles tragedy that I read a long, long time ago and I couldn't tell you anything about but i do remember that it was a tragedy her father <laughs> is oedipus the the one and only oedipus okay so there you go and oedipus uh, famous for carving out his eyes right carving out his eyes after finding out that he killed his own father when he was younger in life and married his own mother yes so that's what happened with casper the friendly ghost yes yeah as eyes yeah yeah so i don't i don't know uh, what david morris is trying to tell us about his past but uh, mm-hmm. by naming his daughter antigone it seems fishy yeah it seems very fishy but that i mean that's in play too and the the cribbing or the mentions of these philosophical connections they were a lot more prevalent in the first season we have a lot of camus we have a lot of nietzsche we have a lot of like existential nihilism that is being spouted by uh, rust cole throughout the first episode and then throughout even after uh this is i think a little more attenuated so i can't tell yet whether this is just a bone uh like we would get on one of our favorite shows lost uh where they would name a character something like john locke and then you would get to you know go into whether how this character was similar to john locke's philosophies desmond hume rousseau all these philosophers and people that were on this island i don't know if the antigone is a nod to that and it's just like hey it's whatever you think it is or if there is some more direct connection to be drawn but i don't i think it bears mention for sure yeah uh you know she goes to visit her dad after she finds out from somebody who she's serving like an eviction notice to i think um she finds that there's a there's a waitress who's who's gone missing or someone's sister has gone missing and that kind of gets us to uh the the hippie compound where she gets this scene with her dad and hug a tree mom uh wrote wrote into us a great great username by the way uh and wrote what are what are your thoughts on any follow-up for the missing girl do we need to be concerned with her or was that just a way to to get uh to, to meet daddy and hear about mom and all of that stuff so what did you guys think do you think that this is a threat obviously not as um you know forefront as everything that's happening with casper but the missing woman here that annie was following up on is that going to be a plot thread that we're going to be following throughout the season i i got a feeling that it would would be i mean obviously it could have been used to deploy that to get us to where we could meet her father but i i have a feeling that the missing woman is definitely going to have something to do with the overall uh plot of what's going on but Obviously, time will tell, but I would just think it would be surprising that we spent that much time necessarily on her and then find out she has nothing to do with what's going on. But I just get this feeling she, she's definitely involved somehow. Yeah, yeah. What do you think, Antonio? I don't think so. <laughs> okay. You think that's just a, a done one and done? I think it's kind of a red herring. And the only reason I think that it's just so weird. I, I'm familiar enough with criminal procedure and criminal law to know that, okay, they were going to serve a notice of foreclosure on this farm. And that was, you know, that was really like the lowest end police duty they could possibly get was to serve a notice of foreclosure. And they actually remark on that in the episode. Like, don't you, you really don't have anything better to do. And so she gives them a little bit of a lead. And I'm not even sure that Rachel McAdams would have followed up on that lead, but for the fact that there was a tie in to a place that actually meant something to her. And the reason I feel that way is if I'm not mistaken, once she goes and talks to her dad is is that gone like do we see what anything after that of the search for this missing girl no not really 
Oh, uh, yeah. So I, I do think it was uh, more just in play to get her to that place with her father that she probably wouldn't have followed up too much on it. But for the fact that, oh, there's a connection to this place where there's this person I don't like, I'm going there and I'm going to use this opportunity to yell at him about his other daughter just uh, in, in fact more than I am going to be to look for this missing woman. Right. What do you what do you think is going to be going down with Annie's dad named Elliot played by David Morris who's a very recognizable actor. Uh, he's a total that guy for a lot of people I think but he's a, he's a really terrific actor. I feel like you don't just cast him for a one-off appearance. You got to imagine that Elliot is going to be playing more of a role moving forward whether that's just as kind of emotional fodder for Rachel McAdams' story or if he's going to play some sort of pivotal role in the mystery that's going on here with Casper who really knows at this point but what do you what do you think Antonio what do you think we're going to get out of this guy what do you think he's going to mean to the overall thing it made me wish I'd gone back and seen contact more recently than I have because right, if I'm yeah. not mistaken he plays a father figure in that movie yeah as he's well. Jodie Foster's father in that. right and uh, he's played look he I most recently saw him on Treme he, he was a police officer on Treme who was a little more sensitive to the issues that were happening in New Orleans than uh, some of the other people on the police force and uh, that was kind of abused and taken advantage of and there were there were a lot of good story arcs with uh, Coulson I think his name was on Treme but um, I, I don't he, didn't he get killed in the Avengers and then they brought him back to life on Treme? <laughs> that is exactly what happened because they needed somebody to top line Treme and they didn't trust uh, anyone else. So they figured they would uh, sell the series based on him. That's, That's exactly kind of when Treme jumped the shark, I thought. I thought so too, but you know, who am I? But, um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know. He, he is known to keep, uh, some trading cards in his pocket, uh, maybe to, to put some fake blood on them if necessary, but no, he, I, I hope that he's around this show more. I got to say, I'm not a wig watch kind of guy. I didn't like the long hair. Bad look. Hard to see David Colher. Hard to see David Morse with that hair. It just doesn't fit. I'm, I'm with you on the thumbs down. Jeremiah, where's your vote? Oh, I'm definitely thumbs down. Yeah. Thumbs down. Thumbs down on the wig watch on David Morse on True Detective. Yeah, we got a thumbs down on the wig watch. So, uh, but on the wigwam, on the you know what he's uh, what he's kind of putting in play there, I do think that's interesting. I, I, California, we've got so far we've seen large agricultural centers in this episode. We've seen dive bars. We've seen whatever. We also see now through him a spiritual retreat. And I think all of these things do are parts of the tapestry that is that part of California. And so it makes sense that that would be there. I try to think if it could have any connection to what I look at one episode and see as the larger story. And I just don't see how it could. If he's involved with Casper's murder in any way, I'm just going to, I'm going to bite my tongue uh, because I, I'm, I'm going to think it's probably too attenuated. So I don't know how we get back there. I don't know what the connection is, but I do think we will get back there because I agree. You don't cast David Morris as a one-off. That said, they cast some people in the first series of True Detective that we saw one or one or two scenes only from them, and that was it. And I was kind of surprised. So, who knows? Who knows what they had in mind when they cast David Morris? I, I don't think it was just this one scene. Yeah, no, I, I I feel like we will definitely see him again. It's just kind of a matter of of how that comes into play. And I'm interested to see how Athena, how Annie's sister, is going to come into play here as well. And I got to say, thumbs up on Elvis, on Annie's partner Elvis. You know, stoic quiet seems to be the most normal guy on the show so far i like him yeah better partner than uh than colin farrell's partner the w or earl brown oh uh, no you don't it doesn't get better than dan 
No, Dan Doherty. Yeah, he's no. maybe maybe he he's right now the the lead culprit on um, who killed Casper, considering his experience popping out eyeballs. Ah, <laughs> good call, yeah. good call. And actually, I don't I don't know that he's a really bad culprit for the actual crime either. Oh, who knows? We'll see. Uh, Absolutely not. Well, I was going to go out on the limb and say I'll go ahead and say the hippie father is the killer. You think so? Casper, yeah. Why not? Oh, you know, I, I don't be the, I don't mind being the first to go out there with a crackpot theory. All right. No Hippie dad is the yellow king? Sure. Yeah. Why not? All right. <laughs> Antonio, you're saying thumbs down on Hippie dad is the yellow king? I don't like it, but I like that Jeremiah is bold enough to like it. I'm, sta- I'm, I'm staying neutral. I'm going to see. I'll, Switzerland. I'll wait an episode or two before I back one of these horses. I'm sure you will. Yeah. Uh, well, let's, let's back this horse right up and talk about Taylor Kitsch, uh, who's just a handsome man. He's so he handsome. is. He is. I don't like the short hair on Taylor Kitsch, though. Jeremiah, what are your thoughts on Taylor Kitsch's hair? I thought it was okay, but I know where Antonio's going. You look at that long, beautiful hair he had for Friday Night Lights. I don't know, man. It, it did look, I did think he looked more dashing with the long, flowing hair. Is that the thing? Is that, is that why Taylor Kitsch's career has not gone well? Because it was like a Samson thing, and he shaved his head, and like all of his power went away. I, I don't want to say yes, but I'm not going to say no. Uh, he, the, yeah. problem, the problem that I had with Battleship, among many other problems with Taylor Kitsch, is... You only had I one did, problem? Yeah, well, I said among many other problems. Oh. It, it, he really did kind of look like John Cena. And I don't want Taylor Kitsch to look like John Cena. I want Taylor Kitsch to look like Tim Riggins. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, li- I like the scars. Yeah, that was good. Uh, I mean, that was really... Uh, that was actually scars. He had yep. a little. He had a little uh, grayscale. He had some cootie spots. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that that's we got some we got some problems brewing. We got some grayscale there in uh, Southern California. But no, I I'm a big fan of Taylor Kitsch. I we talked about this on the preview show. I, he has the military look because of the shortcut hair, which I think makes sense and fits. I think it would have made a lot less sense for him to be out there with the the long hair flowing in the wind as he's riding the motorcycle. So I think it makes sense to have the haircut. Just not a fan. Jeremiah, what's your take on on Paul Woodra is his is his character's name? What do you what do you think of the character so far? What do you think we're getting out of this guy on the show? Well, we I mean, I felt like he we I felt like we got the least amount about him than the four main characters because I mean, we definitely know obviously he's got some some wounds from the war, not just physically but mentally as well. We understand it uh, for some reason he's affected by it. he's he's not even able to um, have relations with his very beautiful girlfriend i mean he couldn't he couldn't have any relations with her without having of course to take the viagra which we mentioned earlier so i mean there's a lot of things going on with them but there's still a lot i still want to know i want to kind of see because it's still kind of just like with the with the ray character i know there's more we're going to find out about him and why he's so destructive i really want to know what exactly is that caused him to be at the point where he was like obviously willing to commit suicide with that bike i mean that was crazy right and i mean where what got him to that point that's gonna be very fascinating so there's still a lot to learn about this character but i i think he did a fine job i was definitely intrigued yeah um you know viagra joke obvious viagra joke aside you know i did think that he was a little wooden uh in this in this episode i I thought that he was definitely kind of the most vanilla character of the four main characters so far and yeah there's there's definitely a lot more to learn and his final scene of the episode was uh very compelling that he was just you know going uh faster than lightning you know riding in the night the lights are off just crying as he's you know cry riding that bike on the on the pch and it was a really interesting 
thing, but that was the most interesting thing that happened with him in the episode so far. And I love Taylor Kitsch. I think he's a handsome man. I think he's more talented than people give him credit for. But I, I found him a little bit boring in this first episode. Well, I, and I know there was some critics on the director's work with Justin Lin in this episode, but I thought, though, if you looked at a couple different shots that I thought was really neat, one of them Antonio mentioned earlier the, in the scene with the bar, I thought that was really done very well. I really liked what they did at that look. That definitely looked a lot different than most shows you could, you see on television. And then the, the scene with the bike, though, uh, I thought that was really awesome, too, the way they did that. I thought it looked really neat uh, how they had that shot set up. So I thought, you know, those are a couple of shining areas there for Lynn's work because uh, I did. I saw a lot of people writing and they were immediately were bashing on on his work and I, I don't know if it's just because they they're not excited about the idea about different directors each time and maybe that's part of it but i th- i thought it, that was definitely a couple points there where you can see that he did at least try to you know give it a very unique look and Tony, did you have any problems with the direction in the episode no I, there were maybe one or two too many of the uh, overhead kind of like chopper bridge shot yeah yeah there were there were a couple too many of those uh i i think that, that that's an important shot and i don't think that you can tell a story that they're trying to tell about los angeles area without kind of showing some of that uh and so i think fair play to them for doing it a little bit but it, the credits are, are are rife with them already uh the credits of the original true detective they, they were you know had them so I think that that's something that they just like. Uh, they like the way those grids look. That it has to be a Pizzolatto EP kind of showrunner kind of thing. Like, well, we need this shot. So I, I thought there were a few too many of those in this episode. But overall, I had almost no qualms with the direction. And like Jeremiah, I would also single out the scene on the bike. Uh, I, I, your cheeks look like that when I blow in your face, Josh. But other than that, I've never really seen it on film. So uh-huh. c- good on them for, yeah. for the way that played out. Yeah, no, that's true. Secrets revealed here on the True Detective podcast. Oh, yeah. sorry about that. I thought, I thought we already talked about that on Justified. No, no, no. We, we didn't get into the specifics of what we did in upstate New York. We oh, just told people geez. that we did stuff. Stop. Yeah, we got to stop that. Um, stop. Oh, listen, I, I love Tim Riggins. I love my threes. I'm willing to hold out hope that the that the Taylor Kitsch character is going to pay off. And I think that there's some interesting things going on there, but just a, a little a little boring. But what he what he winds up finding, that shot is fantastic. Just everything with, with the motorcycle I thought was really terrific. And then what he eventually stumbles on is the payoff for what we're seeing in this episode. Where is Casper? What happened to this guy we saw casper who we find out to be casper being carted around in a car throughout the episode slumped over in the car so obviously dead at that point as well there's like a severed bird head sort of doohickey thing in the backseat with him yeah i don't know what's going on there yeah some interesting imagery going on there that's standard wear nowadays. The kids are wearing them all the time. It's a, it's a bird mask. Yeah, just severed bird masks. <laughs> severed bird masks. It's really big. Uh, maybe it's maybe it just hasn't taken off everywhere. But I've seen them. It they're around, man. Yeah, we had some people calling it um, sons of the harpy. Yeah, mask. our our Philly thought it might have been a son of the harpy mask. Yeah, I, uh, I I could see that. I can see that as well. I I think that they, we look. We talked about this in the preview show that there was supposed to be some tie to the occult with uh, with what was happening. And well, this. maybe it's not out. Yeah. Maybe. You know? I think that I think that may be it. Like I think that may be it. You know, it definitely seems like there's some funky things going on with this guy and the artwork. I'm sure, you know, we did not spend nearly enough time, um, you know, probably (laughs) pausing and pouring over all the artwork in this guy's apartment. But I'm sure if you go on on reddit.com slash true detective, you're going to find all sorts of think pieces on the stuff. Well, what we I mean, you look at what we know about this Ben Casper from the stuff we see in his apartment to everything else. You're I'm sure we're led to believe it has something to do with some of the very strange uh, 
sexual world he's involved in, right? I mean, that's that's the way they assume. I'm, I, I would think that it definitely has a big part of his life, but I don't know if necessarily that is the is the cause of what caused him to get killed here. If it was, he was involved in something weird like that, or if it has to do something, of course, with the transportation deal, would that will be one of the things I'm sure they'll be focusing on is to see which direction it goes there as far as why he wind up dead. But one of the things I was thinking of when you, when we first, when we first see Ben being traveled around in this Cadillac, right. With his glasses on, I immediately thought to ourselves, okay, I know where we could go with the spinoff for this show. I'm working on the title here, but I'm thinking Weekend at Ben's. Yeah, Weekend, yeah. weekend at Ben's. Think about it, man. This guy's got all these crazy stuff going on, these wild parties, you know. You just keep those glasses on, and you could just hang around with him and say, oh, hey, uh, we're with Ben. You yeah. know, it's perfect. What do you think? Weekend at Ben's. I would go to Weekend at Ben's. Yeah, why not? I wouldn't. You wouldn't? You're not nope. into uh, miniaturized human beings floating around in, like, cat bowls of milk? I, I didn't say I wasn't. I just don't like his house. I don't like the shit. <laughs> You're not a bit, well, he needs to clean up. Yeah, it was a feng, the feng shui was way off. The architecture. I just wouldn't. I wouldn't go there. Yeah. So if I invited you to a party at his apartment, you're not showing up. Is that what you're telling us? No, uh, not at that one. No. I mean, uh, it's really just uh, I, that place gives me the wrong vibe when I look at the outside what? of it. Was it the skeleton with the crown on its head? Is that what really bothered you, or was no, it? No, I have one of those. It's fine. Oh, that sort of thing is fine. The bowl of milk thing. Oh. I'm surprised you guys don't get that. But yeah, I just didn't like the look of it. Uh, my editor oh. Alex Zalbin at MTV wrote an article about that skeleton with the yellow crown and you know, kind of like the gold aesthetic, and said, "Hey, look, it's the yellow king. We found the yellow <laughs> king." And, but but you know, it, obviously he's joking around. But you know, the point is kind of interesting of just like a really quick glimpse at this supernatural looking yellow king in you know just as like a kind of throwaway shot here just to sort of uh, his read on it was this is true detective season two's way of saying season one is in the past and we're not spending any time on that shit anymore uh i thought that that's kind of that was kind of an interesting observation do you guys read that this series is is this series of true detective this season is that much more self-aware than most second series of television i i don't watch the american horror story is that is that like that where there are nods and references to things that were contained in previous series of the show that aren't considered to be canon per se yeah jeremiah do you watch american horror story no i don't so this yeah. is all man it's you know i mean that show there's there's first off american horror story apparently all of the seasons they take place in the same universe uh is something that was revealed by ryan murphy sometime in the past few months uh there's lots of casting carryovers you know jessica lang who's not coming back for season five is in every single season in the show otherwise and uh Lots of different actors. Evan Peters has been in every single season. So there's lots of carryover. They're just playing different characters. So it's self-referential in a way that's very different from what True Detective is doing this season. But I do think that True Detective, to me, does seem to be kind of like stiff-arming its way away from season one, you know, really trying to distinguish itself in a certain way. I, I think that it looks similar. I think that the look is very similar, and it's obviously the same idea of let's bring some Hollywood actors into playing the TV sandbox for a little while. But in terms of, of tone, in terms of story, in terms of kind of acknowledging that this is a show that there are a lot of eyeballs on, uh, by literally taking those eyeballs out of, you know, its central uh, victim so far, um, and having this moment with this, you know, kind of yellow king type of thing, and, and what you mentioned earlier, Antonio, about someone reading in a paper of, uh, is, what is this going to be, an eight-part series? You know, there definitely seems to be kind of this concerted effort to distance itself from what came earlier. And even, you know, we talked about it with the, with the Leonard 
Cohen Nevermind opening being a really grimmer, darker, moodier, um, you know, sort of piece than the season one opener, which uh, was also, you know, very eerie in its way, but kind of had a little bit more of that southern twang and a little bit of that spice that I think season one um, really captured so well all throughout the show. Uh, So I think that season two is very consciously trying to be different from season one and also consciously trying to let people who are looking for these kinds of things figure that out that we're trying to do something different here with season two yeah i was actually surprised in that regard that the credit the credit sequence wasn't more different i mean tonally it was very different we already talked about very similarly edited very similarly the color scheme is different of course but the way that you've got patterns appearing over people's faces and sort of them slowly disappearing from the frame and morphing and dissolving into other things uh, the geometric lines that are being drawn across the screen all very 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 similar to the first series so i think you're right i think they are trying to distance themselves but they're also of a mind that they're of a piece with the series one so i think you've got a lot of similarities with the hollywood actors with the way the credit sequence is designed and i think with the way that the the series will be presented so hopefully they're they're getting a lot of the story stuff out of the way in the first few episodes and we'll we'll have a a a bigger bang for our buck near the end of the season a lot of people's criticism of the first season is that it was front-loaded and that after a fourth or fifth episode uh it became more of a paint by the numbers kind of thing yeah yeah because i got that feeling too because you know everything i've read that nick said he's going to work to make sure he he has this look that this season will be completely different from the first one but i think that it's a conscious effort to make sure that there is certain things though that still have a certain look for the show so you know when you're watching it that you are watching a true detective season yeah yeah um jeremiah did you say that you you caught up on true detective season one or were you watching it live I watched it live. Yeah. Um, so this is this is my first experience watching the show live. And I, I, I binged basically all of season one. I think I stopped my binge with like, I think that I timed it with the final episode or two uh, coming out. And I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed, you know, just being able to sit down and dig into the thing as an eight hour, nine hour movie. Uh, that was that was a really enjoyable experience. But I but I felt that I had missed out on sort of the weekly water cooler conversation that was surrounding the show. But right off the bat, one thing that I am getting from watching season two, you know, live and, you know, talking about it weekly and having to wait in between weeks for for episodes to show up is like I do get this feeling of like we just got started at the end of this thing. You know, it takes until the very final scene to get everybody in the same room together. And granted, there's plenty more hours of the story to tell. But I really do wish I could just hit next. You know, Um, do you did you ever have that feeling watching season one or it was that did that not bother? bother you does it bother you here it's just that's one thing that's just that's pulling on me a little bit as i'm watching this uh, yeah no i think because i think because of the way season one worked i think it didn't bother me at all in fact i kind of probably enjoyed that week of wondering you know, how things are going but you're right the way this one ended i certainly felt that way too and i think i actually read a few people talking about this is that they felt as, that this would have been better served as a netflix show so they could immediately go right to the second episode because we waited so long to get things uh, cooking with this main plot of the uh, crime right so- and, and I'm wondering what to attribute that to, you know, maybe, maybe the fact that there's, you know, four main stories that are kind of intersecting. So there's a lot more time. There's a lot, a lot of different masters that you kind of have to serve here. Whereas, you know, I feel like more of what you're getting, you know, the, the, the idea comes quicker in the, 
first episode of season one of True Detective, I think. Like, you, you get a lot. You know that there was this murder case, and you know that Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey, they solved it at some point in time, but there might be something fishy going on with it, and it's being reinvestigated, and all this stuff. There's so much that's immediately on the plate with season one that, like, that's going to get you really thinking about what's coming up in, in the next episode uh, back, back in the season one days. But um, here with season two, there's just, there's, it, it takes, it takes a while for the idea to really come together for the picture to come together. Antonio, do you, do you hear what I'm saying at all? Or am I just rambling? No, I, I don't think you're rambling. What I was sitting here thinking about while, while you were going into that is, uh, are there shows on TV that are currently airing right now that I don't want to immediately hit next and see, but that I still want to watch? Like, right. are we in a position where our brains are kind of like uh, conditioned now to want to binge watch things? And I don't know. Like, I, I, well, I, li- I like the uh, most of the Shondaland shows. I like Scandal and How to Get Away with Murder. Almost every week when I watch that, if there was another episode to watch, I would immediately watch the next one and but i do think that this true detective episode i think you're onto something with the fact that it took so long to get all the characters into the same place and i think really what we spent this episode doing is learning about the four of them so that now that they're moving and that they're in play we've got character notes for all of them that we remember uh we've got stuff we've got the the bully beat up scene uh with colin farrell we've got the taylor kitsch blue pill scene we've got this and also the scene with the actress in the car We've got um, the stuff with Rachel McAdams. We learned about her sister, her mother, her father. Uh, We know a ton about her. So we've Mm -hmm. got a lot of these great character notes for all four of them. So we don't have to spend a ton of time in the future episodes doing that. And it won't be so exposition-y. I don't know why they made that choice, as you were kind of speculating. I don't know uh, if that was an affirmative choice. I mean, clearly it was. But I don't know if that was an affirmative choice in service of like letting the story just play out now over the next few or what. But I mean, if I if this were a novel, I feel like we probably flew through at least 10 chapters. uh, And in those 10 chapters, probably two of each of of one of the of the four characters and maybe a couple where they intersect. But um, but I feel like we flew through a a pretty fair amount at the beginning here. Uh, And I want to hit next because we've set the table and dinner is ready. Like, that's why I want to do it. Not because what I'm eating is so good that I've got to have more. I'm just impatient. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, I'm a really impatient guy. But no, I, I mean, I think that the, the episode had a lot of work to do. It had to set up a lot. It took a long time to set up what the mystery of the season is going to be, who these people are that are going to be interacting with the mystery of the season, interacting with each other. But now they are all, for all intents and purposes, in the same room, you know, on the same side of the road. And even though Frank is not there, he's kind of there by proxy through uh, Velocoro. You know, like he's, he's, got a, he's got eyes and ears on the scene as well. So everybody's in the same space after one episode that's actually you know pretty good progress uh considering some other shows that take seasons for all the main characters to get together uh looking at you game of thrones but you know i I think that i I think you're right i think that the table is set i think that there's a really interesting meal waiting for us next week i'm just i'm very listen i'm I'm a fat kid i'm just i'm excited to start eating i'm ready to go i want to i want to pull the trigger on this pizza party right now the pizza latte party? Yeah, the pizza latte party. Uh, uh, let me let me say this. Uh, people, and you maybe didn't notice this uh, as you were watching the first season in Binge, but one of the things that the first season I thought did really well is it did not belabor itself around too much. So by the fourth episode, there was some serious action stuff going down. And by the fifth, we had kind of resolved part of the main story uh, that we were Ready really... Ready to do... 
that we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, So it was really done. And, uh, and there, there are shows that would take a lot longer time with that. Uh, this particular series being eight parts only, I think that they, they dealt with the consequences of what was happening pretty quickly. Uh, so that there was actual work after the second episode, shit, shit, shit got, shit got done. Stuff happened. Yeah. yeah. And I think that we're going to get there with this show too. Oh yeah, we will. I have confidence. And in everything I've read from the critics who've seen the first three episodes felt like that by the third, it really starts to, you know, pick things up. And I think that it's going to, we're going to maybe be really enjoying it much more than we did at the moment we are right now. Right. So. Yeah. I, I think, you know, was this the, the most exhilarating, exciting episode of television I've ever seen? Absolutely not. But I think that it, it put a lot of really cool pieces into play. I want to, I still want to find out about the naked lady in the bowl of the milks. You know, we didn't answer that here on this podcast, but I want to find out what that's all about i think that was a classic true detective like just atmospheric thing yeah well i'm gonna look into it i'm gonna i'm gonna I'm, see you what just I, need to make your own I'm gonna see what I, who says i haven't uh, i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna see i'm gonna see what i can find out there but no i think i think that there's lots of really interesting stuff in the mix here uh let's let's see how it plays out in the weeks ahead i'm excited for the potential of the show um i think it's a, a slow start but i think that there's potential here in both directions honestly i think that it could be really good or it might not be my cup of tea but i'm, I'm interested to find out um any any other business to take care of here or what what do you think as as far as uh, the first episode goes, Jeremiah? Anything else that's nagging at you? Uh, no, I don't. I can't think of anything that we haven't already covered. Uh, I'm just uh, going to be. And you've made your prediction. I made my prediction. What else can I do, man? No, you've made your prediction. Oh. Elliot is the Casper killer. Yes, that's yeah. correct. David Morris is the Casper killer. What, the do, what do you think, Anthony? Who's the Casper killer? Um, Devin Sawa. Devin Sawa. <laughs> It's always Devin Sawa's fault. Him and his damn idle hands. That's all I've got. That's all I've got. He's the one who killed Casper. Um, No, I I, I don't know. I think that that, uh, if I I had to guess, I'd say that we probably did meet uh, the the Casper killer in this first episode. It wouldn't surprise me if it was the Russian uh, and if there was some kind of end around on Vince Vaughn somehow or some play that he was kind of not ready to do, do business in that world. Like he thought he was, I don't know, he thought he was coming to a knife fight and it ended up being a gunfight. Right, like, right. He thought he was involved in a business deal and it ended up being just as dirty as anything he's ever done. And he gets out foxed because he's not willing to go there. Like right. I can see that being, being in play here. Yeah. The, the yellow King ends, ends up, you know, on the off chance that someone has, you know, is watching this and is listening to this and wants to go back and see season one. I won't say who, who that character is, but you don't see the, Josh. You don't see, the, you know, it's you, you don't see the, you don't see the yellow King in the first episode. I don't think that character I think is withheld. So, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of interested about, about that. Like, is the Casper killer going to be a big deal? Like, is the identity of the killer going to be the BFD or is that going to be something that kind of just um, gets gets answered somewhere partway through? And it's not really about who pulled the trigger and more about the why and the how and the what it means and all that stuff. I think there's a I think there's a lot more going on with this with this plot than we would think. So I think we're going to find out there's a lot more in, in details and that's going on other than just uh, Casper being killed. I think just a lot, a lot more. I think it's going to get really deep. Yeah. Jason Burning had written into us and said, uh, "So Velcoro killed Casper at the end, right?" Uh, I didn't. I didn't get that. Uh, did you? Do you think that any of our true detectives could be uh, in the know on this one? Could be in on the job. 
I mean, he's the most likely suspect, right? Uh, he's if really the only anyone. one that I would say could really be in the mix for that. Right. And I, and I didn't get the sense that he actually did that. So I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know uh, if we're, if we've met the person, like I said, if we had, I think it's the Russian, but uh, I, I didn't, I didn't get any sense that, that Valcoro was the one who had done it. Uh-huh. No, I didn't. I, I did not have that feeling at all. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's all right. I don't, well, I, well, I don't think he's all right. I think he's, he's not all right. <laughs> I have a couple questions for you guys. Um, I'm wondering what you thought of the title of the episode, Western Book of the Dead. Um, I thought it sounded like a great name for a jam band. <laughs> <laughs> like a country cover band of the Grateful Dead. Was their first song called Nevermind? Yes, it was. And it was just a full length version of the Nirvana yes. album? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. The covers have been crossed. It's a big jam. No, I didn't. I didn't have any strong feelings about it. Um, Jeremiah, did you? Did you have any big read on Western Book of the Dead? No, not necessarily. I did not. But I mean, it's uh, sounds like it'd be a very boring book. I don't know. <laughs> I, I would read it. I think it'd be good. Uh, John Santucci had a theory that he posited on the Posha Recaps page and said, uh, I believe the Book of the Dead was a book of spells intended to aid a person's soul through the underworld and into the next life. Are we supposed to witness our four main characters traveling through the underworld of L.A. or Vinci in this case and into their next life via a redemption story arc? That sounds like a good good read to me. Yeah, it, it, what's weird about that is I never heard of the Western Book of the Dead. I've heard of the Tibetan Book of the Dead a lot. I've read some of it. I It is in kind of keeping with a lot of things that I really, really like uh, and that I've found central to some of the things that were formative for me. So um, the, the Beatles were really into it, you know, and uh, it was a psychedelic kind of thing that was happening in the 60s. And I don't know if the Western reference to that is like this is the California version of this or uh, I don't know where that comes from but the the tibetan book of the dead is not about at all uh about spells or anything i think that that john may be talking about a different book so i don't really know what the what the title of this episode was meant to reference um but the tibetan book of the dead is very much it's not about the underworld per se but it is about traveling through different phases uh of life and of death uh and the different things that happen the the bardos the states basically uh, that you're dividing your experience into so i don't know if if we're supposed to see these characters at different points in that in that kind of place, like one character's uh, kind of struggling a little bit differently than another, but they're all struggling, and that's why we got such kind of co- weird connections between them. Uh, they all show up, with the exception of Vince Vaughn, at the crime scene, uh, so they're all in different different phases, but in in the same place as well. So I don't know if that's the connection or not. I just thought that that was interesting. This is a show that it does certainly trades in uh, these things, and we talked about the Antigone bit already uh, so I don't know what they're what they're going for with that but uh, I thought that was a very interesting kind of way to begin the series to call the episode that and Antonio Gany Antonio Gany is he, you just hashtagging now yeah I'm working on it that's all right. I like it. I like it. Uh, there were some other questions here on our page. I think we, uh, I think we, we, I wanted to hit on one from Matt Campbell, uh, because Matt is such a good contributor to what we do on post-show recaps. Matt said in season one, there were two things for me that differentiated it from any detective crime show on television, the atmosphere and the two lead characters from what we've seen of season two so far, while it was a good enough premiere, it doesn't feel that different to any other inner city crime series. What aspects of season two do you 
you think could potentially separate itself from both season one and other crime shows? Yeah. Um, you know, this this first episode, it's it's you know, it's taking its time. I don't get that either yet, Matt. You know, I, I don't think that there's anything that's really completely distinguishing itself from anything else. But I think that for me right now, that that feels like part of the point. Like, I, I get the sense that, you know, there's there's a part on the creative on on season two that's like, well, we've got people who are checking out True Detective. Season one was a hit. People loved season one. People watched season one. People are going to give us the benefit of the doubt and check us out. People are going to come see what we've got to offer. So I think that there's a little bit of confidence in the ability to tell a slower story, to tell it at, at, a, at a little bit more of a deliberate pace. So I think it's taking its time to reveal that stuff, whether or not it has that behind the curtain, whether or not it has any kind of game changer or real, true, defining, distinguishing characteristic. Who knows? You know, maybe not. Very possible. Maybe not. Maybe maybe this is a whiff. It's entirely possible. But I, I think that my read on it right now is that there is a feeling on uh, on Nick Pizzolatto's uh, part. Did I get it right? I think I came close. Close enough. Close, close enough. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Nick. Big Nick. Um, I think that there's there's a confidence in in the writing that we can take our time. People are going to come and check us out. People are going to give us the benefit of the doubt, and we'll we'll roll out that red carpet slowly towards that reveal. Um, whether or not it's coming, or whether or not it's satisfying i think is another question entirely well and hopefully that's not a gamble that they're going to lose on though too though because it is possible they could lose out on that and there won't be enough there early on and people are leaving i mean i did see people on twitter saying that eh, i didn't like it I'm, I'm out so hopefully that's not the case but i do think it's i think it's a little too early to tell what can it what will be distinguished as different than other crime, uh, you know, shows. But I, I definitely see where you're coming from, man. I'm very concerned that there won't be a whole lot other than the fact, of course, they'll be able to go much further or be able to show us a lot of things that you wouldn't normally be able to see anything on a network show. Right. Other than that, it is, to me, it just seems a little early for me to tell for sure what is going to be that distinguishing difference between the other shows that we see on television which there's as we all know there's a lot of them <laughs> yeah Antonio, did this distinguish itself did the season two premiere distinguish itself from any other crime shows in your opinion did, did well, it do enough to kind of separate itself no other crime shows have naked little people in bowls of milk i guess that's a fair point, point. Yeah, I mean, and, and Jeremiah points out they probably couldn't. So this one's already ahead of that game. Yeah, uh, I don't know. We had similar questions from Robin and from Dave Backer on our comments page. Uh, Dave wanted to know if there was a, something in the premiere that differentiated season two from season one. And Robin wanted to know if the cast could live up to the standards that were set uh, by the, the duo from season one. And I think the cast and the introductions of the cast is what makes it different from season one. Arguably, it's different in a bad way. Like, I think that people could say that and they might be right about it. This is just one episode, though. So I'm certainly not uh, weighing in a, with a verdict. Uh, this one spent a lot more time on these four characters and giving them all character notes and moments and backstory. Uh, whereas the first season was told in such a unique narrative way with kind of jumping between timelines and unreliable narrators and different points of view and mixing all of those things together, uh, those great devices together. Um, this this series is told in a very straightforward way, uh, and we're seeing things that the characters are experiencing, uh, by and large, with the exception of whatever is happening with Casper. Uh, the characters are not involved in that, I don't think. Everything else we see is from the characters' kind of points of view, the things that aren't, like, you know, establishing shots and what have you. Yeah. So we're with these characters the whole episode, and I think that that's a little different. It, the first series, famously or not famously, very interestingly at the beginning, you mentioned earlier, Josh, that we, we don't see uh, 
the yellow king in the first episode but we do see somebody setting a fire in the, the in the field uh we don't really see who it is it's kind of a, sh- a shrouded cloaked figure uh but they set a fire that enables the body to be discovered and i think the presumption is that that is the yellow king setting that fire so i i, I wonder if we do have whether we know it or not some introduction to the killer in this episode uh, which would make it similar and not different from season one but i think the time it spends with these characters is, is what is different as for whether the characters and the actors who are playing them uh can bring it to the level of mcconaughey uh and woody harrelson uh, i think it remains to be seen i think that's a really high TBD. bar to climb tbd tbd true something detective all right true but detective yeah i wasn't gonna say it but well yeah. i did uh all right well let's let's hear from you guys you know let's it, it was great getting you guys in the comment section this week hopefully you guys are gonna hop back in there now that you listen to the podcast but also tweeted us let's let's get a hashtag going the casper killer hashtag the casper killer let's find out who you guys think what are what are your theories what do you think is going on who do you guys think casper uh killed casper so far what, what what's your take on the central mystery of the show uh follow jeremiah on twitter he's at j panhorst antonio is at ac mazzaro with two z's one r i'm at round howard uh subscribe to what we're doing we're working on getting the feed up postshowrecaps.com slash true detective itunes is where that's going to live once that's set up but in the meantime you can go to postshowrecaps.com slash itunes and go to postshowrecaps.com you'll find the show page for this and you can hang out with us in the comment section we're all going to be very active we'll all be talking about everything that's going on there so please join us uh jeremiah antonio thank you guys so much thank you sir thank you josh devin sawa killed casper i'm holding to that i know i know him and his his damn idle hands (laughs) can't trust that guy can't trust that devin sawa all right guys thanks so much and we will we will talk to you again next week when episode two of true detective hits we will be back getting into all of that madness with people in bowls of cereal milk and it'll be really awesome and awkward it'll be great all right guys thank you so much take care everyone bye the war was lost the treaty signed okay all right i (laughs) was not caught that crossed the line all right okay all right cutting it bye but never mind never mind never mind i had to leave my life behind the story's told with facts and lies. You own the world, so never mind. My woman's here, my children too. Their graves are seen from ghosts like you. In places deep, with roots entwined, I live the life I left behind. The war was lost. The treaty signed I was not caught Across the line I was not caught Though many tried I live among you 